news editor at World Magazine. Just wanted to bring the interview an update on persecuted Christians in northern Nigeria as we think about praying for Christians during the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. This summer I traveled to northern Nigeria to report on the plight of Christians in that part of the world. And Nigeria really has been an epicenter for Christian persecution over the last decade. And that's primarily because of the rise of Boko Haram, which is an Islamist militant group. And it aspires to be to northern Nigeria what the Islamic State is to Iraq and to Syria. So over the last decade, they have really wreaked havoc all over northern Nigeria. They've raided Christian towns and cities and churches. They've killed thousands of people. They've burned down churches. They've kidnapped young women and girls to make them slaves. Uh, they really come to kill and to steal and to destroy. And uh, their aim is to remove the cross of Christ. They are self-proclaimed enemies of the cross. And you can actually literally see that as you travel in northern Nigeria. In all the places that we went, it was actually rare to see a place where a church had not been either burned or razed down by Boko Haram. But the amazing thing is that though the church there is struck down, it is not destroyed. Uh, there are many Christians who are returning to that part of the world and who are trying to maintain a Christian witness there and to really just move on with their lives. Uh, for example, one afternoon we went to a town called Michika. And this town had been completely taken over by Boko Haram several months before. The military had taken it back and people were returning there. And on a Wednesday afternoon, we turned a corner, went up a steep hill, and we heard just this loud sound of singing. And we realized that it was a, a church where hundreds and hundreds of Christians had gathered on a Wednesday afternoon from all over the area to sing praises to the Lord, unafraid of drawing that kind of attention and, and praying praying for the church, praying even for their enemies, for those who were persecuting them. And we met so many Christians who said, we want to stay here despite the danger. They were saying our prayer is to remain here until Christ returns. So that's very much the heartbeat of the church in northern Nigeria, despite all of the persecution that they are undergoing. So I'll tell you about one man in particular, uh, a young man named Micah. He's in his late 20s. He's a father of five children. I met him in the plateau city of Jos, where he was in a hospital. Uh, about a year ago, he was in his home village where he's a member of a Christian reformed church, lifelong member of that church. And he and his wife were on their way to their yam farm to check on their harvest. And on the way, they were ambushed by a group of Boko Haram militants who demanded that they recant their faith in Christ. And Micah refused. They turned to his wife and asked if she would recant her faith. She refused. They shot her dead on the spot in front of Micah. They gave him one more chance to recant. He refused. He said, God forbid that I would deny Christ. And so they took a machete. They cut off his right arm and almost cut off his left hand, left him there to die next to his wife. Amazingly, a villager found him, got him in the car, somehow managed to get him to help, and, and the Lord spared this man's life, this father now of five motherless children. And as we sat in the hospital room, I said, how can we pray for you? And he said, pray that I will stand fast. Pray that I will cling to Christ. So as we think about praying for Christians in places like Iraq and Syria and Nigeria and other places where persecution is going on so strongly all over the world, let's continue to pray that they will remain steadfast and that a witness for the gospel of Christ will remain in these dark places in the world. It's good to see everybody. Today is the International Day of Prayer 
for the persecuted church. And so we're uh, taking a departure from our normal teaching format. And so what I want to do is I want to look briefly at uh, what the Bible says about persecution. And then I want to highlight several areas in the world where Christians are facing persecution. And then we actually want to spend some time praying for those that are being persecuted, uh, as the video said, because they're asking for that. Um, You know, typically when we talk about the persecuted church, we talk about churches in places like the Middle East or Africa. And we do that because, for the most part, they have had more intense and more frequent forms of persecution, as you saw Boko Haram, which is terrorizing Nigeria, and ISIS is all over the news in Iraq and Syria. And so that's normally been the case. And I think uh, that that is still the case today. But as the U.S. moves further and further away from our Judeo-Christian roots and becomes more secular, I think that we're going to see more frequent and more intense forms of persecution here. Now, I don't think, I think we're years away from the type of physical persecution that we see in Nigeria um, and in Iraq and Syria. Um, But I do think that we are going to face more social marginalization for our beliefs. Uh, I think we're going to face more animosity from our neighbors and I think from our government as well. And so I want to talk about that because I think in a corporate sense, not necessarily lion and lamb, uh, that the church as a whole just hasn't done a very good job of talking about persecution and what you do to anticipate it. Um, I've been a Christian for 20 plus years, and really I can only remember a couple of sermons about persecution, and those were not really about how you anticipate, how you react to persecution, and what you do when you've been persecuted. Um, And we need to have a we need to have a biblically informed understanding of persecution because that does a couple of things for us. One, it helps us to understand that not everything that happens is persecution. Okay, uh, So, for example, uh, if, if Target says Happy Holidays instead of Merry Christmas, that's not persecution. That's not the type of persecution we're talking about. But it also helps us that when we are faced with persecution, whether it be from our neighbors or from government or whatever, it helps us so that we are not so afraid of being persecuted that we would just withdraw from the culture and we're ineffective because that's not what we're called to do either. We're called to be effective in our culture. So I want to just take uh, a few brief minutes to talk about what it means uh, to be persecuted. So um, one of the things that would help us understand persecution is to understand that persecution is an occupational hazard of being a Christian. And what I mean by that is just like a firefighter or a policeman where danger is an occupational hazard of that occupation. So it's inherent in that job. When you sign up to be a firefighter or you sign up to be a policeman, you understand that danger is a part of that job. Persecution is the same thing for Christians. Just being identified with Christ means that persecution at some point will come. In John 15:18 through 20, Jesus is telling his disciples 
Um, he said, if the world hated me, and it did, then the world is going to hate you. And that, by extension, means all of us. And if the world persecuted me, and it did, then the world is going to persecute you. And, by extension, us. Um, now, for us, it's particularly in American culture, because we've enjoyed a culturally privileged place, understanding that the world hates us, that can be a difficult concept. Um, to get our minds around, because we just haven't experienced that. So this is new territory for us. Um, in the past, the church has always had enemies, so we've always had people like Richard Dawkins or Christopher Hitchens or, or atheists that hated the church, but they've always been in the minority, and they haven't had a lot of power. That's changing. So people that hate the church, they're more numerous now, and they're occupying places of power and influence in almost every sphere of society. So academia, uh, government, politics, things like that. And when we think of the world hating the church, we just tend to think of, well, they're apathetic. So they don't like us. They don't like our message. They're not buying what we're selling. Well, that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about hatred, um, that the world hates the church and wants to see it destroyed. And the early church understood that. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12 that everybody that wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. It's not an option. If you want to live a godly life, you're going to face persecution. We can see that um, today, right? So if you hold a historic position on the, what the Bible says, that the Bible is inerrant, it's uh, uh, infallible. If you hold a traditional orthodox position on marriage and sexuality, there's going to be persecution that comes. Again, it's still at this point social persecution, but there's definitely a persecution that comes by having those beliefs. You know, another thing I th we don't think about persecution, I think, is why it surprises us, is because we really don't understand the nature of the conflict that we're in. So if you're a believer, you're in Christ, you are part of a kingdom that is at war, and that has been at war since its inception. And it's at war against the kingdom of darkness. Um, now that, the kingdom of darkness is was defeated at the cross. It's been definitively defeated at the cross. And the scripture says that everything is in subjection to Christ. But that kingdom still believes that there's an opportunity for it to win. So it still thinks that there's a chance. Well, Satan knows that he's been defeated. Satan can read the Bible. He knows how it turns out. But he's still operating under the assumption that there's a chance to pull this thing through. And we talked about this at our theology class, how... It doesn't make sense to us to, that Satan knows the scripture, he knows what's going to happen, and how can he think that? But for whatever reason, he does. And persecution is one of the weapons that Satan uses. And he uses it, employs it, to discourage and try to defeat uh, children of light. The good news for us is that even though Satan uses those weapons, he employs those weapons, that those weapons are under the authority and under the sovereign control of God. 
And so that brings me to my second point, that when we're persecuted, it's bad, but it also brings opportunities to witness. Now, it brings opportunities to witness to the power of the gospel. Second Corinthians, I'm first Corinthians, excuse me, 16.9, Paul tells the Corinthians that he's not coming to visit them because he's going to stay in Ephesus because a wide door for ministry is open for him and there's many adversaries. And if you look in Acts and you look in Paul's letters, Paul faced enormous persecution. He was stoned and left for dead. He was a night and a day in the sea. Just incredible things that Paul went through. But you also read that contrary to the gospel being dampened, the scripture says that all Asia heard the word of God. And so the exact opposite happens. It's counterintuitive. So church is persecuted and the church grows and the church flourishes. And we see that today. Uh, this is Asia Bibi. Some of you may know who she is. She is the only woman, the only woman on Pakistan's death row. She's been there since 2009. And she is accused of apostasy. So she's accused of blaspheming the prophet Muhammad. So she's been in prison for six years. Uh, this woman refuses to recant her faith, like we saw in the video earlier. She's been denied access to her family, all these things, and she refuses to recant. And she's been a witness to thousands and hundreds of thousands of people all over the world. This is Pastor Saeed Abedini. You probably maybe know who he is, hopefully. Uh, this is a, he's an American citizen, and he has been in prison in Iran for two, almost three years now. And again, he's been in prison. He's been regularly beaten, tortured, denied access to medical care, denied opportunities to contact his family, and he refuses to recant his faith. He's had multiple opportunities to do that. And in fact, there's stories that he is witnessing to, actively witnessing to the guards, the people that are torturing him, and to other prisoners. In China, house churches are regularly, leaders of house churches are regularly arrested, beaten, sent to re-education camps or whatever they do over there. And again, they refuse to recant. They refuse to, to give up their faith. So we see that wherever there's persecution, the gospel flourishes. Okay. In addition to providing opportunities to witness, God promises that there are opportunities to, there are blessings. There are blessings and rewards for those that are persecuted. Um, this is the wrong slide. This is not Matthew 5. Uh, but in Matthew 5, which is the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Blessed are you when they persecute you, and when they revile you for my sake. So, it's counterintuitive to us how blessings can come from persecution, but God promises that they will. In Romans 8, which is this, um, Paul says that, I'm just going to read it, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. And so what Paul's talking about is that at the resurrection, whatever persecution, whatever sufferings that we've gone through, 
are not going to compare with the glory that we experience when we finally see Christ. Guys, one day Christ is going to come back for his bride. And he's going to take us to heaven. And there's going to be no suffering. And there's going to be no death. And God's going to wipe every tear away. And there's going to be no persecution. There's going to be no mourning. All there's going to be in heaven is joy. And all that we're going to be concerned about when we get to heaven is we're going to be concerned about is that we get to spend eternity worshiping our Savior, enjoying fellowship with the saints. And so that should give us great hope, great hope and encouragement when we experience trials and suffering. Okay, um, I want to switch gears. And I want to talk about the persecuted church. So there were a couple of major religious freedom reports released this year. One of them was by the United States State Department, and it was called the International Religious Freedom Report. And the other one was by a Catholic relief organization called Aid to the Church in Need. I just want to highlight a couple of things from those reports. So the Society for International Society for Human Rights estimates that 80% of all persecution that takes place worldwide is against Christians. So you think about that. Any, any type of religious persecution, 80% of it is against Christians. What the State Department report found was that for the first time since they've been doing the report, most of persecution is occurring at the hands of non-state actors. So what they mean by non-state actors is people like the Islamic State, people like Boko Haram, people like Al-Shabaab in Somalia. So instead of a government persecuting Christians or persecuting religious minorities, it's terrorist organizations that are doing it. And talking about ISIS, the State Department report, one of the, one of the really troubling things in there was the state of Christianity in Iraq. And since 2003, the population, the Christian population of Iraq, has dropped from 1.4 million to around four to 500,000 uh, today. There's some experts that believe that within five years, there won't be any Christians in Iraq. And there's been a Christian presence in Iraq for over 1,600 years. And with almost the, the length of time that Christianity has been a religion, there have been Christians in Iraq. And within five years, there may be none because of the Islamic State. Um, the Christians have been driven from their homes. They've destroyed churches. Um, in fact, I just want to take a minute to read a part of the International Religious Freedom Report. It talks about the ISIS takeover of Mosul in northern Iraq. And when I read it, you'll get a sense of what our brothers and sisters are going through. It's not easy to read, but I think it's important that we understand it. In Mosul, Iraq, and nearby towns, shortly after the takeover of the area, by militants of the Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant, which is just another name for ISIS, Christians who had been given the choice to convert, pay a ruinous tax, or die, gathered their families and what few possessions they could carry and sought all possible means to escape their community. 
helped to escape. Their community, having been a part of the rich culture and history of this city for more than a thousand years, was being threatened. Three-year-old Christina Kader Abada boarded a crowded bus with her mother to leave when suddenly one of the fighters guarding the checkpoint tore Christina from her mother's arms. The panicked mother followed him, pleading with him to return the girl. Shut up, he responded. If you come close to this little girl, you will be slaughtered. We will slaughter you. And she was forced back on the bus, leaving her baby behind, never to know what became of her. So, as a parent, I mean, that just kills you. As a Christian, that there is a Christian wife and mother who doesn't know where her little girl is. That, that is profoundly disturbing. But that's what's happening in other parts of the world. Syria. Christians have been displaced by the civil war, again, between the Assad regime and militant groups. Uh, they can't flee to other areas because those areas are controlled by ISIS. And it's one of the worst humanitarian crises we've ever seen. Um, and in Pakistan, as we saw with Asia Bibi, anti-blasphemy laws are on the books, which are used against Christians that they're falsely accused of blasphemy. And what happens in Pakistan a lot is that you'll get a report of a Christian has blasphemed. Just last year, there was a young couple. The wife was accused of burning a page of the Quran, which was not true. She hadn't done it. And so they were going to bring her up on blasphemy charges. Well, before they could do that, a mob approached this family, dragged them out of the home, and killed both of them. Uh, threw them actually threw them into an oven. Um, so clearly, things are not good for the church in much of the Western world. And, and this is a heavy subject, I know, and it's, and it's easy to get overwhelmed, right? So you sit here and you think, that's going on, there's nothing I can do. Well, oh, I forgot, Nigeria. Uh, again, Boko Haram, killing civilians, burning churches. Okay, so what can we do? We're sitting here um, in comfort, in relative peace. We've got coffee, we've got donuts, the building's heated. Things are pretty good. So, so what can we do? What can we do to relieve suffering? And one of the things we can do is we can give generously. Collected an in the book of Acts, Paul collected, um, collected an offering for the Jerusalem church. The Jerusalem church was going through some difficulties. And so Paul collected for them. And he commended those churches that had given generously and given sacrificially. In your study sheet, there's a list of organizations. That's not an all-inclusive list. There are other organizations that provide physical relief to refugees. Find one of those, organi find one of those organizations and give to them. We also need to be informed about persecution. Uh, again, there's a list in your well, there's a list in your on your study sheet. Uh, as a church, we support Voice of the Martyrs. They're one of the main organizations that support the persecuted church. You can sign up for one of their newsletters. Uh, there's an app. 
that you can download, which will give you prayer points for the persecuted church. You can sign up to get tweets or Facebook messages, those kinds of things. So really in our digital age, it's very easy to be informed and we need to be informed about what's going on. Get involved. So this is usually where, uh, where we hit the brakes. So when we hear about things, we want to do something, we get to the involvement stage, and then we don't follow through a lot. But getting involved doesn't mean that you move your family to Syria to work in a refugee camp. I don't know, maybe it does. Maybe God is calling you to do that. But that's not what I'm talking about. Getting involved can be simple or it can be complex. Again, Voice of the Martyrs has a thing where you can go online, you send an email or you fill out an email form, and they'll send a note to somebody that's in jail. They'll send a note to a persecuted believer. You can, Samaritan's Purse comes out with a Christmas catalog. Part of that is relief to Christians that are persecuted. World Vision does the same type of thing. Sponsor somebody. There's all kinds of ways to get involved in organizations. Getting involved could also mean that uh, you use social media to highlight people that are persecuted. We're all on Facebook. We're all on Twitter. We're all on all these other social media platforms. We'll use them for redemptive purposes and highlight those that are persecuted. Highlight ways to help. You can sign petitions. There is a petition by the American Center for Law and Justice that's been circulating for Pastor Abedini. I've signed it. It's, it literally took me 17 seconds to do it. You click, you put your name, you put your email, you, and you can even tell them, don't contact me, or yes, I want to receive updates. It's really easy to do. There's another one for Asia Bibi. I've signed that one as well. So those are all ways to get involved, all ways to provide support to the persecuted church. One of the other ways we can get involved is, you know, I've lived a lot of places, and really, this country with all its faults and all its problems is really the best place to live. Because I have been in some, some really crazy places. And one of our benefits is living in a representational democracy is we have the opportunity to contact our elected representatives. Again, it's really easy to do. You go to house.gov or senate.gov, you find your representative, you type them an email. I have yet to not get a response from them. You can even click, there's a drop-down menu, you tell them what you're, what you're communicating about, click religious freedom, and ask them, ask them to, to highlight those. When bills come up, when aid bills come up for review, Pakistan is bringing that up the United States, and it's one of the chief persecutors of Christians. Ask them to at least bring that up. Not necessarily that the bill is going to go down in defeat or that they're going to strip money from Pakistan, but at least bring it up, at least highlight what's going on. And the most important thing we can do, if you don't do anything else, we need to do this, okay? The most important thing we do for the persecuted church is pray. All right? I love that quote from John MacArthur. In prayer, human impotence casts itself at the feet of divine omnipotence. 
So sitting here in Topeka, Kansas, there may not be much we can do for Christians in Mosul, Iraq. But listen, guys, we have access. Hebrews tells us that we have access to the throne of grace. And it tells us to come boldly to the throne of grace. We don't come scurrying or we don't come with our heads down. Hebrews tells us to come boldly to the throne of grace. So let's be bold about praying for the persecuted church. Let's go to our Father and ask Him to intervene, to ask Him to help, to ask Him to support the persecuted church. And when we pray, a lot of times when I'll pray, what's the first thing I pray for? Right? Probably the same thing you pray for. Right? I pray for safety. Right? Keep me safe or keep us safe. If you talk to anybody that's in the persecuted church, that's not their first, that's not their first request. Their first request isn't for safety. Their first request is for strength. That they want to stand firm in their faith. They want to trust God. They don't want to take revenge. They want to leave the revenge for God. That they'll be able to love their enemies. They'll be able to bless those that persecute them. They'll persevere under tribulation. And that they'll keep their eyes on Christ. So those are the types of things we need to pray about when we're praying for the persecuted church. Not that there's anything wrong with praying about safety, but that shouldn't be our first default position to pray for safety because that's not what they're asking for. So with that said, that's what we want to do. We want to pray. Okay, so I'm going to put a couple things up here. We're going to pray for three different regions, the Middle East, Africa, and Asia. These are things you can pray for that I've come up with. If you have other things you want to pray for, that's fine. If you want to pray silently by yourself, if you want to pray a couple, three people in a pew together, that's fine too. I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to pray, and then I'll pray, and then we'll move on to the next area. Okay? So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the witness of the church in the Middle East. We thank you, dear God, for believers that are standing firm. And we ask, dear God, that you would bless them. Father, would you um, 
bless the gospel? Would you help it to grow and to flourish? Father, we pray for families that have been separated. Would you give them comfort and peace? Dear God, Father, would you help them to depend on you? We pray, Father, for relief organizations and aid workers that are helping those Christians that have been displaced by war, by terrorism. Father, we ask, dear God, that uh, you would show yourself mighty on their behalf. Uh, Dear God, that you would, again, let your light shine through them and that uh, you would be glorified in their suffering, dear Lord. Okay, so Africa. There's some... Jumped ahead. It's okay. Okay. So we move to Africa, and there's some things to be thinking about. So let's pray. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Africa, dear God, and pray for the church there. Um, Father, Father, particularly for the church in Nigeria, which is ravaged by uh, terrorism, uh, Boko Haram, dear Lord. Father, we pray that that they would cling to you. Father, we pray for the true gospel to take root, dear God, and for the prosperity gospel to not, to... uh, Father, that believers there would be strengthened. Um, Dear Lord, I pray for those in other parts of Africa that are fleeing persecution or war or famine, dear God. I pray that you would protect them from smugglers, from those that would take advantage of their situation. Father, as they make dangerous crossings to Europe, Father, that uh, you would uh, protect them, dear Lord. 
And we ask that uh, you would let the light of the gospel shine in Africa, dear God. Father, there are so many dark places. There are so many strongholds that the enemy has. Father, we pray that uh, you would come against those and that you would help the church there to demolish those strongholds, dear God. Um, Father, we pray for those that are persecuting. We pray for uh, the militants in Al-Shabaab and and Boko Haram, dear God, that uh, they can see uh, the way that Christians respond. Father, that some of those you would give repentance to and that they would turn and go from being persecutor to faithful servant. Uh, It happened that way with Paul. And so we pray, Father God, that again, that it would happen to some of those that are persecuting your church. Father, strengthen the church there. Uh, Give them the grace that they need. Help us again to be diligent, to pray for them, to remember them, to do what we can to come to their aid, dear God. Amen. And then we move to Asia. Okay, so let's pray. Father, we pray for the church in Asia. Dear Lord, we pray for those believers in North Korea that are locked up, that are in re-education camps, dear God, that are being starved. Um, Father, we pray that for Christians in India that are being persecuted. Um, Father, the, the church in Asia is small in numbers comparatively, dear Lord. Would you give them influence that uh, doesn't match their numbers, Father? That as they face persecution, as they face it with joy, as they face it with trust in you, as they face it with uh, just supernatural peace and strength, dear God, would you help that to be a witness to those that are, that are persecuting them, to those that are around them, to their neighbors, dear Lord. Uh, Father, again, we pray that uh, the gospel would go forth in all of Asia, dear Lord, that your name would be made much of through the persecution of the saints and that they'd feel your presence, dear Lord. 
Again, for us, Father, we pray that we would be diligent to pray for them, to do what we can to come to their aid, dear Lord. And uh, we thank you, Father, that you are sovereignly over all things. Amen. Okay. Um, we're going to wrap up. I have a, there's another video from Voice of the Martyrs. It's not uh, graphic, but it is a little intense. So if you have little ones, you might want to be aware of that. But I'm gonna, we're going to end on this. And I just want to say, you know, persecution is not something to be feared. I'm not saying we run to persecution because you look in the scriptures and Paul did both. So Paul, Paul got let down from the wall of Damascus and he left certain cities when he found out he was going to be persecuted. But it's not something to fear. It's not something that we have to be afraid of. It's not something that should paralyze us. It is part of being a Christian. But as in all things, God can redeem suffering and God can redeem persecution. And so we just need to keep that in mind. So we're going to watch the video and then we're going to worship. Today we are celebrating the engagement of a young couple in our village. That is until this Christian returned. Four days ago he came into our village trying to convert us, telling everyone about his Jesus. We warned him not to come back, yet here he is.
हम लोग इनके साथ क्या करेंगे अगर इसका परमेश्वर सच्चा है तो इसकी मदद अवश्य करेगा और हम इसे जाने देंगे Suta did recover and 4 days after leaving our village he came back again Now my wife and I follow Jesus and Suta is our pastor When you pray for the persecuted please remember to also pray for those who persecute For us it may be the only way we will see the love of God Amen